Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's Thursday. We've got lots of headlines to cover this morning, and so uh, I think I'm just going to jump right in. Um, by the way, our lineup this morning is really strong. Do you have a lineup card yet um, in baseball? Do you do you do that? Is that a thing? My dad taught me how to do that when I was a kid. I'm wondering if that's something that is still happening out there in the big wide world today. People making lineup cards with their kids, you know, teaching them. How to do that? How do you substitute players in and out? I'm just curious. All right. um, The NBA, from baseball to basketball here. The big international story this morning uh, is about the NBA. And it is a a story that is told on ESPN. Uh, If you want to check it out, you can check it out at ESPN.com. ESPN has been investigating uh, and has discovered that coaches at an NBA China academic uh, or academies, excuse me, um, are complaining of player abuse and actually a lack of schooling. So first of all, did you even know that the NBA runs academies, schools, theoretically their schools in China? First of all, did you know that? Um, and then would it surprise you to learn that uh, kids who are recruited into the NBA's youth development program in China, because you know they're they're looking for uh, the next. What would his name be, Paul? Who who's the really fantastic? You're asking me. I I know, I know basketball a, like the back of your hand. I mean, there's a really fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I know who you're talking Chinese about. basketball player. Yeah, yeah, but all right. So somebody somebody needs to um, text me eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Um, okay, so here's what's going on. Instead of actually being educated, inst- instead of actually supplying these um, these students with the kind of education that they ought to be receiving from an industry like the NBA, who absolutely intends to uh, capitalize upon them, um, that's not what they're getting. Instead, they are. Uh, there is evidence of uh, a physical abuse, failing to provide schooling. Um, on and on and on and on. So that's going to be the big headline news of the day. And I think that one of the things that it highlights for those of us who are Christians, anytime that we seek to export something to another place in another culture, we have to ask ourselves, what are we exporting? So this is a conversation related, you know, I'll just connect this to a conversation about missions. When we seek to share the good news of the gospel with other people, we need to do so in a way that honors Jesus. In the same way, if you are um, a U.S. company like the NBA and you are seeking to export U.S. values like, oh, I don't know, good sportsmanship and democracy and the education of of all and all kinds of things that would be contrary to the communist view of things, um, sports being one of those places where an individual is allowed to shine much uh, in total contradiction to the communist understanding of uh, of the role of an individual versus the role of the uh, of the collective. Then we need to be also be exporting 
the values of actual education and of actual um, humane treatment of one another and the building up of the individual. Uh, we need to. So anyway, so it's contrary to our values to be seeking to export democracy and sports, let's say, but basically then keeping these kids hostages in these school environments that aren't even really schools where they're just seeking to develop, um, you know, the next great player uh, for the NBA as opposed to the next great global citizen. All right, there you go. Oh, yes, thank you. Yo Ming, big, big name from years ago, seven feet tall. Yeah, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. I don't know. Okay. Um, We got all kinds of headlines to cover. Ben Johnson is literally waiting in the on-deck circle. Now I'm mixing my sports metaphors, but, you know, it's Thursday. Here we go. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Talking about- Joining me now, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at actonacton.org. He also tweets as the rights writer. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Good to be with you, Carmen. It's great to have you. Um, All right, let's talk about the family. Let's talk about the way God designed the family. Let's talk about um, the migration away from God's design from the family. And then let's talk about the intersection we're experiencing now with COVID-19, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Yeah, well, the uh, family as God designed, obviously, was created at the very beginning in the outset when God said it's not good for man to be alone and caused a deep sleep to fall over him, and created a helpmeet for him, uh, that being Eve, his his partner, to be at his side throughout uh, all of life. And the two partners are to support and love and cherish one another. The uh, traditional Christian understanding of marriage is that marriage is that we are supposed to choose a partner who is going to further our salvation. And so our faith and our building one another up in the faith day by day is the most important aspect of what we do. And that, uh, that's that been traditional. Of course, children are part of this mix and, and always have been uh, for the continuation of the human race as God designed. And uh, for centuries and generations, that's, that's how it's happened until about the last generation where fertility has fallen so dramatically that in most places around the world, we're at uh, below replacement population. Almost every year in the United States, you see that population has fallen and the total fertility rate has reached a new low. Now, that is a big problem because of a whole lot of whole lot of issues. There are economic uh, factors, but it even affects COVID-19. There was a new study that was uh, put out by a university in Madrid, uh, San Pablo University, and its demographic unit that uh, oversees demographic affairs. What it found was that if the family had kept its traditional structure in Spain, and it's looking specifically at Spain, but it's true across so many other nations, including the United States and elsewhere throughout the transatlantic sphere, if we had had the same replacement level population, and if families had maintained their traditional structure, which is to say that typically uh, the uh, grandparents would live either with their children or grandchildren, uh, if that had happened, there would have been obviously a, a lower percentage of people who had been affected by COVID-19, lower percentage 
of COVID-19 deaths because you would have had a larger population and younger people have uh, have shown themselves more resilient. Typically, uh, what causes a COVID-19 more death uh, is, is a comorbidity of some other uh, issue that uh, interacts with COVID-19. But also, there would have been fewer people in nursing homes, which, as the study points out, has been the locus of the spread of COVID-19. We can think particularly of uh, orders like uh, that handed down by Governor Cuomo, where people were forcibly placed in uh, nursing homes and where it spread so rapidly among people who were already facing severe health challenges. Uh, and in the United States, 42 percent of all COVID-19 deaths are linked directly to nursing homes. And that doesn't count the fact that if someone goes from a nursing home but then ultimately dies in a hospital, uh, say is transported and put on a ventilator in a hospital, that's not counted as linked to a nursing home. So it's, it's even higher than that. They said if uh, people had not been forced into uh, situations where they had to be in nursing homes, then obviously the total number of deaths would have fallen. And uh, I, they also had one other point that I thought was very interesting, which is that so many people who uh, were, were not infected with COVID-19 would not be sheltering in place by themselves. There wouldn't be this great level of isolation during the lockdowns. And as we said at the beginning, the reason that God created marriage is because it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good at the end of life any more than it is at the beginning. Well, um, and then I would say also, you know, the commandment related to honoring our parents, right? So um, I'm going to offer up as related to this a story that we covered earlier this week, and that's that in Canada, um, people are taking advantage of the euthanasia laws there, the um, assisted uh, dying laws there, um, at a really unprecedented rate. And in a a large percentage of them, 14%, are saying that, you know, that the reason, their terminal, their terminal issue is that they're lonely. They're isolated and they're lonely. Um, and w- once we get to the place as a culture where we think that isolation and loneliness, like just being by yourself, is, uh, uh, is reason enough um, for you to be eliminated, uh, that, I, I got to tell you, like, we've just really reached this tragic point. And the the breakdown of what you and I would consider the traditional family, the breakdown of the uh, of the way God designed family to function, is is a huge part of this. It absolutely is, and you know, in many of these cases, uh, it's it's you know because of the fact that uh, in particularly in Spain, the demographic trend has been going on far longer than has been in the United States, where uh, generations did not have children, and so. Uh, they they have no one mm. to turn to at this point. Uh, you know, they, they simply did not have their family. And now you're dealing uh, largely with, with women who have outlived their husbands mm. and are completely by themselves. Uh, it's it's very tragic that they are they are so isolated, so alone. And society essentially, as you have said, particularly in nations outside the United States where the demographic trend has been uh, accelerated far beyond where it is here, have said uh, essentially, you're right. Uh, if if you don't wish to live anymore, we have no interest in seeing you live. Uh, that kind of idea that life is worthless, if you believe that it is worthless, flies so in the face of God's affirmation that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, that we have a purpose in the very core of who we are, that everyone has something to offer, no matter how isolated we are, and that all life is precious. That's why it's so important that we broadcast that message, that we proclaim that message, that 
the gospel of life is truly that God uh, God has created us in his own image in every life, no matter uh, how, how, um, how injured, how uh, supposedly deformed or harmful or defective or isolated it is, still reflects the glory of God in some way and has something to offer to the rest of humanity. All right, Ben Johnson and I will be right back. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a wedding officiant who is being... I think I would describe it this way, forced to officiate in same-sex wedding ceremonies. All right, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. If I should speak, then there be of the grace that is All right, imagine with me for a moment that your, uh, your business is that you officiate at weddings. And you are a Christian, uh, and you disagree um, with the nation's standard on uh, same-sex weddings, same-sex marriages, uh, and you live in a county in Ohio that has an anti-discrimination policy uh, that essentially forces you, if you're going to do any weddings, to also do same-sex weddings. So that's my setup for the conversation that Ben Johnson and I are going to have right now. Um, what is going on in this case? Yeah, Cuyahoga County, along with uh, Lucas County, Cuyahoga County's Cleveland, Lucas is Toledo. These are the two most liberal parts of the state of Ohio. Cuyahoga County two years ago adopted a non-discrimination ordinance that applies to uh, homosexuals and transgender people according to sexual orientation and gender identity. In Cuyahoga County, there's an evangelical minister by the name of Christy Stokes. She's a former missionary to Zimbabwe. She's currently studying for Ph.D. as a chaplain, and she has a business called Covenant Weddings. A couple of years ago, she realized that her true calling in life was uh, a lot of her friends had asked her to officiate weddings, and she loved giving sermons at weddings, praying at weddings, and she would customize an entire service around the couples after she got to know them. She decided to make this her business last, last fall. Uh, matter of fact, her business is less than a year old uh, as of right now. It was founded last August. She's decided that uh, this is her life calling, but because of Cuyahoga's so-called non-discrimination ordinance, it's okay for the Cuyahoga County government to discriminate against Christy Stokes. Uh, they've said that uh, it is impossible for her to hold a wedding as a so-called public accommodation and not celebrate weddings for same-sex couples or transgender couples. And specifically in her case, two people had come to her, and as it turned out, one of them identified as a male, but in fact they were both female. And she uh, found a scheduling conflict and said she couldn't do it, but now she's suing, saying that this is threatening my ability to live out my faith in my business. Uh, the fact of the matter is her, her, her business, Covenant Weddings, has a stated mission. It says its mission is, quote, to pursue her spiritual calling to share her faith, celebrate marriage, and glorify God. Now, no one in the Cuyahoga County government has any right to tell her which way uh, her spiritual calling is, what her celebration of marriage should entail, or how she can glorify God. Uh, that, is, that is her spiritual calling. It is the very reason the United States was founded to allow each of us to determine those things for ourselves according to our own conscience. And the free exercise of religion is not suspended 40 hours a week, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday. This is her business, her calling. And she has every right to exercise her faith. And this ordinance uh, is threatening her and everyone else. So uh, this, this is simply a case of the government 
ordering someone who is a Christian minister to participate in a wedding that violates their faith or lose their business. It occurs to me, Ben, that the conversation about what an individual believes is a, that is a that is a hard conversation to bring to bear in in the culture today, because so many people, I mean, at, at one on one level, like right, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and someone else can believe whatever they want to believe, and you that neither of the two of you are considered right or wrong because truth is whatever you perceive it to be, which is just patently not true. And so I do find, I think we find ourselves like, right, she believes something that is based on sincerely, sincerely uh, held beliefs, right? So I think that the conversation that we're going to have to get into as a culture um, is, is belief relevant and how, how what one individual believes is worked out in, in a culture where, um, the law concretizes some beliefs over and against others. Like that's what that's what happens, right? When when us one set of ideas becomes the law of the land, we are essentially saying this set of beliefs is not only normative, but it is legally binding. Am I? I know that I'm I'm sort of fishing around for a way to articulate this, but is that accurate? I think you've put it very well. In fact, uh, I'd go even one level deeper than that. The United States was founded, obviously, to uh, reflect the Judeo-Christian ethos of the West from its very foundation. The United States was a revolution, but it didn't see itself as breaking with the West. It saw itself really as the apex of everything that uh, the West had been building to through Greece and Rome, and then the long history of of English liberty, uh, drawing on the Magna Carta and everything that had happened in English history up to that point. And it was meant to reflect a certain uh, certain point of view, not that you had to share that in order to share in the liberties, but that the Judeo-Christian worldview was intended uh, to guide all of our future governance. Within the shell uh, of that belief, there's been a new seedling that's taken sprout and burst through the shell, which is a, short, a sort of a, a polytheism uh, in terms of our understanding that... Uh, that everyone had the ability to determine truth for themselves, and that displaced the old Judeo-Christian point of view, that truth is, is many-form, multiform, and diffuse, so you have the ability to choose on your own. And now what is shaping culture is not that old Judeo-Christian virtue-based understanding of liberty. Instead, it's an idea that the government should be in, in, uh, affirmatively enforcing a point of view that opposes the very point of view that that was the creation of the United States in the first place, namely that the United States government should be enforcing uh, a, a sort of a, a woke ideology, and that anyone who dissents from that is doing a disservice to God. If you are punishing churches or punishing ministries like Christie Stokes and others who don't share that, you're actually rendering service to God, uh, because the ideology uh, which we're seeing here has displaced the true faith, and it's it's a case of of ideological extremism replacing the long heritage of ideology upon which all liberty is based and founded. Ben, you and I do not have time to do justice to the piece that you have posted at, uh, at, at, at the Acton blog right now on statues and the three pillars uh, of the West um, that toppling statues tears down. 
Um, but I want to tee it up on my social media right now and direct people to it at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Give us the top line. Sure. Top line is that uh, the, the iconoclasm that we're seeing of statues being toppled tears at uh, three basic pillars of the West. One of them is faith, because churches are being uh, targeted here. Churches are being vandalized. Church statues and images of Christ are being defiled. And the United States was built on faith. Our founding father said the Constitution is made for a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to any other. Second of all is property, because this is private property, and James Madison said government's instituted to protect property of every sort, and that, and including rights. That is the basic foundation of our government. And the third is history. We're destroying our history without knowing who we were. We can't possibly continue to be what we were intended to be. Mm. All right. You guys can read it at acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G, um, or you can follow me on Twitter. I have teed it up there. You can also follow Ben on Twitter. He's the rights writer. Ben Johnson, thanks so much for joining us again today. Thank you, Carmen. God bless you. Likewise. We'll be right back. All right. So the American Bible Society, uh, along with Barna Research, has uh, posted the 10th State of the Bible Survey. So this is the 2020 State of the Bible Survey. Um, and in 2019, over one-third of American adults, 35%, said that, you know what, they don't ever use the Bible, ever, um, outside of a, a an organized church service of some kind, maybe a funeral or a wedding. Nope, 35% never use the Bible. Uh, in January of this year, that number was statistically unchanged. However, by June, now here's what I'm wondering. So basically, we've been in the in the pandemic shutdown, right, during the period of time that we're talking about. So by June, are you expecting that number to rise or fall? Are you thinking to yourself, you know what, during the pandemic shutdown, more people, more Americans have been actively engaging with the Bible? Uh, no, you'd be wrong. The proportion has actually fallen to 31%. Fewer people actively engaging the Bible uh, during the pandemic shutdown here in the United States of America. Additionally... According to, again, this massive nationwide uh, Barna research study along with the American Bible Society, uh, it's called the State of the Bible Survey, many scripture-engaged adults were finding it difficult to maintain what they describe as their relationship with the Bible. The proportion of Americans who use the Bible every day also fallen. Uh, fewer than one in 10 people actually engage with the Bible on a daily basis here in the United States of America. So let me ask you this. Uh, have you been in the Word of God today? And if not, how in the world do you expect to be in the world that God so loves if you haven't been in the Word of God, where he reveals not only his character, but brings us into ever greater conformity um, with who Christ is? How are we going to be the ambassadors of Christ in the world if we haven't been in the Word? Scripture engagement is at the heart of the Museum of the Bible Harry Hargrave is the CEO of the Museum of the Bible, and he's up next. Few things are more difficult than dealing with a struggling teen, and the stress of coping with the teen can put incredible pressure on mom and dad's marriage. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I've seen marriages disintegrate because of the stress of raising teens. On the other hand, I've seen husbands and wives draw closer because of their common goal. Whatever the case in your household, 
I'd challenge you to put concentrated effort into cultivating your marriage. Identify how your teen's out-of-control behavior might be specifically damaging your relationship. Determine to handle the journey together instead of separately. Hang in there. It won't be long before your teen becomes an adult and finally says, thank you. Mark is hosting a virtual Families in Crisis retreat on Zoom beginning Thursday night, July 30th. To register, go to FamilyCrisisRetreat.com. Welcome, welcome, Harry Hargrave, CEO of Museum of the Bible. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's nice to hear from you. What what a joy to have you on today. I I love everything about uh, the Museum of the Bible, and we want to remind people um, not only about the Museum of the Bible, but introduce them to some things that you guys are doing. Um, one thing that's happening tomorrow night. Uh, and I just, right. let's just start there. Let's start there with the partnership that you guys have developed with uh, Trinity Broadcast Network to produce something called The Truth I'm Standing On. Right. We we have a great show coming up tomorrow night, uh, both on Trinity Broadcasting Network and also on K-Love. And uh, we will um, air at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 10 and 11. They're one-hour shows, but um, we were so excited about the show itself that uh, TBN decided to air it all four hours, uh, the same show uh, back-to-back. And then again, we'll have another show in a week on Friday, uh, a different show, uh, but also uh, created uh, in this partnership between TBN and Museum of the Bible. And we talk about standing, uh, the truth I'm standing on. Obviously, we're talking about the Bible itself. Um, what Make the case, make the case that people listening um, not only should construct their own life standing on the Word of God, but should invite other people to stand on the Word of God as well. The, word, the, the key words that you just expressed are the reason. It is the Word of God, and it will... Uh, heal, um, it will guide, and it will lead you into eternal life. So it's a, uh, it's the most important book ever written, most read book ever read, and um, you know, um, it's our purpose. Our purpose is to make the Bible known and to encourage people to read it. Uh, we are a Christian organization. Uh, we in- include and appreciate. Uh, the involvement of people of all faiths uh, will not sit here and tell them how to believe, but we want them to see and read the Bible because we think it stands on its own. So I know, uh, Harry, there's some people listening right now who um, they're singing in their in their heads and in their hearts. The B-I-B-L-E. Now that's the book for me. <laughs> yeah. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Are we going to hear Matthew West sing that? At, at any point during the show, because I feel like if if I'm going to be watching a program, uh, the truth I'm standing on, and you got somebody like Matthew West up there, I'm I'm going to be expecting the B I B L E. 
I'm not quite sure. Uh, I haven't seen the, the final. Can you version. make it? Ha- oh, that's I'm right. I'm not going to make recording. any promises, Carmen. But uh, he is a wonderful guy. Uh, it is. was our first opportunity to get to know him. This all came about because of a dream that we had to share the Museum of the Bible with with the world via live streaming, and a couple of our board members were close to Matthew and also uh, uh, had relationships with TBN, and of course, in friendly conversation, this all came up as to what we wanted to do, and it it just pulled together in about uh, three weeks' time, and gosh, we've got uh, Leanna Crawford in King & Country, Newsboys, Matt Mayer, Danny Gokey, Mandisa, Zach Williams, CeCe Winans, Chris Christine DeClario, and of course Matthew, and they're all performing, and it'll be a delightful and we hope a glorious night. So I want to talk a little bit about um, what's going on at the physical space, the Museum of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I know there's lots of people even wondering, like, is it open? Uh, let me just tell people the Museum of the Bible was one of the first museums in D.C. to reopen following the, uh, the COVID-19 shutdown. So give us the right. current status. We are fully open. Um, obviously, we have very small crowds because of uh, the COVID and, and because of the needs for social distancing. We're 430,000 square feet. Um, that's a lot of space. It, it takes uh, roughly two or three eight-hour days, depending on your intensity, to, to study all the different exhibits and to see it. So we have plenty of opportunity for social distancing. Uh, there have been some adjustments to our normal work day, but normally if you come at uh, 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning, we open at 9 for members and uh, uh, then at 10 o'clock for uh, the general public, we're open until 5, and uh, it's business as usual. We would love for people to come and be part of the museum, uh, and it's a great time to come because there's not a whole lot going on in Washington, D.C. at this point in time, and therefore... You don't have the crowds, and it's, uh, there are three or four museums that are now open, plus the uh, Washington Zoo. So it's a good time to come to Washington. Yeah, it's like you guys and the Spy Museum and the Zoo. I mean, that's pretty that's much right. it. That's right. That's right. That's pretty much it. It's a, so, it's a little bit lonely, so come see us. All right. Well, I think that's good. That's a good invite. All right. Um, Harry yeah. Hargrave and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk about Bible engagement we're going um, to we're going to talk about uh, great ways that the Museum of the Bible provides for Bible engagement and why this is why this is actually a great resource for you as a Christian who might be thinking about, you know, what's a tangible way that I could share the Bible with with a non-Christian or with a skeptic or with a cynic um, or with a person in the next generation who's just never been exposed really to the Bible Um, And how could you use the resources provided by the Museum of the Bible to do just that? That conversation up next. We'll be right back. I'm going Continuing my conversation with Harry Hargrave. He is the CEO of the Museum of the Bible. You can find the Museum of the Bible at museumofthebible.org. Also going to encourage you to check them out um, on platforms like Facebook and YouTube because there is all kinds of online engagement provided by the Museum of the Bible. Um, One of my favorites, uh, Harry, is Lonesome Curator. (laughs) I I love Lonesome Curator. 
um, and and tell people tell people about this because this is a way that you guys have really um, used technology um, at which you're already very very good. But you've, you're using technology to invite us into the Museum of the Bible and into the Bible during this time when not everybody is free to travel. Sure. So if you go to our website. Uh, and and uh, check around on it a little bit, you'll come across the Lonesome Curator, which are small five, ten-minute vignettes produced by our own curators uh, with uh, handheld devices, um, uh, and it's very professionally done. I'm, I'm impressed with what they've done. They, they showed us a couple of them, and we, uh, we said, you know, that's really good. That's, that's informational. It's personal. You get to know the curator a little bit. You know, a curator is someone who's extremely creative but also very, very well educated. And uh, these folks walk you through the exhibits that, by and large, were their creation. The exhibits were their creation. And uh, talk about them with a great deal of passion and understanding of, of what you're seeing. And it kind of gives you a personal look at some of the things that we present in the, uh, in, in the museum. You know, the history, the narrative, and the impact of the Bible. And we're very serious about expressing those three elements within the, uh, the confines of our, of our building. Uh, you know, the, the, the history about how it happened, uh, who wrote it, what it was, uh, what, what happened in the, in the church universal uh, over the centuries, uh, the narrative of what it says, uh, even where you get certain words, certain phrases, uh, all the way to, you know, Bibles of various presidents and, and Bibles of Elvis Presley and uh, the first book that came across the uh, uh, on the Mayflower, those types of things. Uh, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, the actual written uh, version, written in a, in a hotel here in Washington uh, in the 1860s. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, it's fun. Um, we want to make the place fun. Museums have changed. And museums, by and large, are fun environments uh, where learning can take place and understanding can take place. We want our museum to be something that is a non-threatening environment for non-Christians, informational for everybody, but at the same time has a message. And the message is the Bible is the Word of God. So uh, for those of you who need a little navigational assistance, uh, if you go to museumofthebible.org and you click on the menu, um, you'll see a drop down and you want to go to the word learn. And if you go to the word learn, online engagement is the first thing that pops up. Um, But there's also curriculum there and K to 12 programs and then something called the book minute. Uh, I have signed up for the book minute and it just gives you an opportunity every single day to spend a minute to spend a minute uh, in the Bible. Uh, And so um, just encourage you, that's a really easy way to not only uh, be in the Word of God every day, but also share uh, the amazing stories with your friends and family because um, Museum of the Bible makes that really easy to do as well. Um, uh, Harry, when we talk about Bible engagement and we talk about this particular season in which we're in, we're reading from both the 2020 uh, American Bible Society, you know, annual state of the Bible research that they did with Barna, and we're now reading from from Lifeway Research. We're reading from, you know, like across across the board, we're reading that Bible engagement is actually down during the pandemic. I find that surprising. I would have guessed that people with much more time on their hands 
would have turned and, you know, you know, not able to sleep at night and all kinds of things that, that people are talking about. Um, I would have assumed that more people would have turned to the word of God. In fact, that's not happening. Um, talk with us about really the reason behind the Museum of the Bible and putting the Bible back in front of people um, in a way that they could get to know it again, some of them for the first time. Yes. Even the location of the museum is uh, not by chance. Uh, We are two blocks from the U.S. Capitol and two blocks from the Air and Space Museum. Uh, Our objective is to reach the world and to uh, offer the Bible as the solution provided by God for people who who have problems, who are looking for direction, etc. Uh, it's a difficult thing when you're taken away from your church or you're taken away from your Bible studies because of this uh, dreadful virus. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is um, the difficulties man has to stay focused by himself. I think that's the reason why he gave us each other. Uh, And uh, so the word needs to be shared. The word needs to be spoken as well as read. And uh, when you take all that away, it doesn't take long for people to lose focus. And uh, that's why it's so important that our churches reinvigorate and begin to meet again when uh, when it's uh, proper science to do so. And uh, I guess I'm not uh, uh, terribly concerned about catching COVID, uh, but everybody needs to be aware that it's out there and uh, we need to take the proper precautions. I'm hopeful that soon we'll have uh, <clears throat> a vaccine and, and soon people will be able to go back to church in a comfortable manner and enjoy that fellowship. Uh, And I I do believe that part of the reason people are not reading their word is because uh, being a Christian or being a seeker uh, is all centered around your daily activities. And uh, it's not a matter of losing salvation. It's a matter of being connected um, in in the community in which you live. And I think a lot of that is causing people to turn to temporal things, such as television and and things that are not as healthy as sitting down and, and trying to understand what the, the, the Bible is telling them at this stage of their lives. So All right, well, we're that makes this... Overcome, yeah, we're trying to overcome yeah. that with, with, the, with the website and sending out reminders to people who are on our... Our mailing list, I think our mailing list is a half a million people, and we're sending out uh, messages to them uh, on a daily basis about Scripture and uh, about what it says, its comfort, its reality, and its promise. And engaging uh, with those who, you know, find it easy to access something um, on their television. And so, you know, let's just tee up one more time the Truth I'm Standing On event by the Museum of the Bible in cooperation with Turner Broadcasting. So TBN, you want to find your TBN uh, affiliate. Um, You can also find it on the TBN mobile app, uh, TBN's live stream. uh, And and check it out tomorrow night. Also check it out a week from tomorrow night, parts one and parts two. Um, This is an opportunity for those of us who have... 
uh, have people in our homes who um, are are likely oh, Trinity Broadcasting, sorry, likely willing to sit down in front of a television um, more likely than if we just invited them straight up to a Bible study. So this is an sure. opportunity to open the Word of God uh, with people in a really provocative way. And yes, maybe uh, during one of the breaks to have an opportunity to do your own rendition of the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and we're thrilled uh, with uh, the production because it shares with uh, the public the iconic bronze doors of the book of Genesis that are out front so of our cool. building. Created They're by, massive. Uh, yeah. And they're a reproduction from the Gutenberg Press. And and uh, if I had more time, I'd tell you how that all worked together. And in the Grand Hall, the World Theater, the, the beautiful Tiffany windows on the second floor. It's just so uh, awesome. Hey, yeah, we want people we, to go. You can actually tour the. I got. We got to wrap it up, Harry. I'm so sorry. Um, but you can tour the museum online as well at Museum of the Bible. So, Harry Hargrave, thank you so much for joining us. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Thank you. All right, I do love our listeners. Uh, thank you so much to David, who says, "Hey." The Go Fish guys have a great version of the B-I-B-L-E. Is that what we played, Paul? That is what we played, yes. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right. Hey, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Standing in the on-deck circle right now, Peter Kapsner, a fan favorite of the program. And then in the bottom of the next hour, I've got Sam Collier. If you're not familiar with Sam Collier, um, he not only has a great story, he's helping everyone Connect their story to God's story in order that we can all be a part of a greater story. That's up next in the next hour on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.